Hello, I am Sarah Ruffi, the Woman Warrior Lawyer, and today I am joined by Jovi Sumner. Hey, Jovi, how about if you uh, introduce yourself to the crowd? And you're frozen. Are you there? My name is Jovi, and yes, uh, the Zoom. I think cut up on us, Jumner, and I'm originally born and raised in North Carolina, and I reside between Atlanta and North Carolina, and so uh, I've known Sarah for a number of years. I'm an author, published author, currently studying to become a licensed realtor, and I do some part-time personal development and growth coaching. I want to talk about that. We have known each other quite a few years, and I don't even <laughs> want to try to figure out how many it is at the moment oh god at least it have to be five years now at least because i believe i started coming to some of the seminars in 2016. so when did you become a coach personal development coach what led you down that path with the personal development coach and when i started realizing i was constantly immersing myself and in, in learning some of the skill sets and, and those skill sets were really helping me to change the quality of my life and then i at, at some point it was like you know, we can start using this to, to help other people, you know, and, and that's when I started doing some of that. So I do it on a part-time basis. I'm not full-time with it, but I, I, I love doing it. I live it. I do it every day and um, I use it on myself every day. I live it and it makes a difference. <laughs> and in that coaching, I believe you go by the, the tagline of the breakthrough boss. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's all about creating those breakthroughs in, in life and a lot of times in life, we the breakthroughs come after the moments of pain or the frustration, you know. Can you think of the biggest breakthrough that you've had that led you on your path? Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, it was when I was going through a really rough period, which was my divorce, which is probably what led me and you to meet one another. And it was probably one of the most challenging times of my life. But somewhere in that in that that time when I was going through it you know it was you know I was doing everything I could to save the marriage I was in with the person I was with at the time and you know my, I had a solid career you know I was working in the airline industry and it wasn't bad but it just wasn't great it wasn't ideal it wasn't you know what my ideal was and I hit a threshold of pain during that that point in time and I was like something has to change and it's got to change now I'm going to do something I'm going to find a way to change my life now. And that's when I started really going to a lot of the different events, you know, started going to Tony Robbins events. And that's where you and I met and really just surrounded myself by a lot of different people who were all striving to create a better quality of life, whether I was personally, professionally, or both. And I haven't stopped since. So. <laughs> so you kind of got addicted to it. I did. And it's, you know, it, it, it's been uh, over a decade of work. Um, you know, it's been over a decade of work, but I will say it, it pays off tremendously and just depending on how committed a person is to their personal growth and, and evolving and transforming certain parts of their life, you know, the results can really, 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 once you get in the right environments around the right people, it's amazing what can happen and how quickly your life can change. Like that, right? In an instant. <laughs> <laughs> So what did you do in the airline industry? I worked as a uh, customer service representative for one of the major airlines, you know, had a great 
career going, you know, it was a Fortune 500 company. And there again, I enjoyed it, but just in terms of fulfillment, as far as financially, I wanted to really elevate, if you will. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it during that period of time. I've, I've worked in that industry for about five years. And I guess it was during the same period of time when I was going through my, the split with my ex. And so I guess the universe was like, hey, it's time for you to, you know, navigate a new path. <laughs> it's time for a little challenge. <laughs> so your navigation, what did it take you to after the airline industry? Oh man, it's taken me so many different places. And, and it's, it's amazing because, um, you know, it's literally like night and day difference. And there again, it, it's been a process. It, it hasn't happened overnight. It's been constantly working and, and, you know, finding those areas and everything. It's a journey. But I mean, just there again, my social circle, I mean, everything, everything really has changed and a lot of, and, and there are certain things that are still changing. You know, there are certain things that are still not exactly ideal, but the process and, and, and who I've become to be doing some of the things that I'm doing now, it's like that version of myself would never have been, you know, really went into doing those type of things, you know, and, and it might not be a big deal to somebody. Everybody's at a different place. You know, there's somebody out there who's like, um, you know, they're making six figures and they want to make seven. And, you know, sometimes when we talk about stuff like that, people really don't understand, you know, people will say stuff to undermine like that amount of money. I don't, it, like I heard somebody one time say, you know, a million dollars isn't a lot of money because after you pay taxes, it's like 700,000, which is true. But this came from an entertainer who grew up in the entertainment industry. So to her, that's very true. But to most people, less than 5% of the population, and you know this from a business perspective, less than 5% of the population ever hit those kind of numbers or sustain it. That's so whether it's six figures or seven figures, it doesn't matter as long as it's you know, relevant to your growth and, and what you want to do in your life. And then truthfully, truth be told, we put a lot of significance on those numbers, but everybody I know, whether they do six figures, seven figures, maybe it's a few people who I'm around from every once in a blue moon who do hundreds of millions, they all say the same thing. It's not really how much you make, it's your ability to keep certain parts and allocate that and grow that, that, that makes the difference. So you know, I just feel like it's it's relevant to whatever that person's goal is, whatever my goal is, whatever your goal is, because I just literally talked to a buddy of mine today. We're very dear friends. And, you know, he does very well for himself. He's a, one of those people who, you know, he can just make money out of air. You know, he just, has that kind of, right? he just has that kind of business mind. And he was just like, you know, dude, he's like, I got two homes. They, you know, not a million, but both of them are, you know, right at half of that. And he's like, you know, and he's just like, you know, but then one of my neighbors is doing these big numbers and everything. And I just got on his case. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like the kind of mindset you got, like, you know, but it's, it's not about that. It's just, I think about finding wherever your sweet spot is. That doesn't mean, you know, hit a quarter million or 500,000 and stop growing or reaching. I think it just means be happy wherever you're at. <laughs> it's always going to be something more to strive for, you know, so there, well, <laughs> As long, it depends on what your goals are, right? Yeah. It depends. Do I want to keep growing? Do I want to keep going? Or am I going to stagnate? Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like you're going into the real estate business. Do you want to own the nicest house in the neighborhood? Or do you want to own the junkiest house or <laughs> not even know it? 
do you want to buy the nicest house in the neighborhood or buy the junkiest house in the neighborhood and fix it up? Yeah. But it's yeah. all a matter of, it's all relative to your environment and your surroundings, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's I, I one think of the also, things that we I think learned. a lot of us, like you were saying earlier, a, a lot of us, we, we, we struggle, we feel inner conflicts about finding that, that sweet spot. You know, it's kind of like, how can I, you know, accomplish, you know, maybe my professional goals or my financial goals and still have a great personal life? You know, we know, we know there's commitment required, but a lot of times, most of us, we don't, and it's okay, we, we, we just tend to struggle finding that, that balance or that integration point of having it all or, and, and, you know, the home life not suffering at the cost of the professional life or vice versa. You know, I think that's a, a challenge that a lot of us, we face. That's a challenge for a ton of people. <laughs> you know, there, a friend of mine says, there is no such thing as work-life balance. It's an impossibility. It's harmony. Yeah. So I heard that and I thought, that is so true that look at your personal life and your professional life as two partners in a dance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's smooth, sometimes it's not. But as long as they're going in sync and together in harmony, it's all good. It's all good. But it's never going to stay perfectly in balance. And that's that's not life. life. Life doesn't... We like to think once I get it right, it'll be like, it doesn't work like that. But... It works. It works. Yeah. And like you and I both heard multiple times, life happens for us, not to us. Yeah. A lot of times it doesn't feel like it in the moment, but when we, when we get beyond that hump, we're, we're able to see how it was happening for us. (laughs) And I think we were talking before we got started in terms of life in the shadows and, and the stuff that's lurking around in our shadows Mm -hmm. and that when we just keep carrying it and throwing those boulders in our backpack, we don't realize how heavy they are until we start taking them out, dealing with them and tossing them because we don't need them anymore. Absolutely. And I think those are the times where we really need to remember that life happens for us, not to us. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Because I think that's a great thing if we think about it. We may not always like it. I mean, we we all go through seasons. I mean, I've just gone through a season where if I wanted to, I could consider it a drought. But from a spiritual perspective, I knew it wasn't a drought because I knew I, I needed to let go of certain things. And that's exactly what you and I were talking about. We were just talking about how there, you know, there are those certain parts of us where we need to let go of some of the old stuff, some of the old baggage from the past. And we need to go in there and clean out and get rid of it, let it go, and just lighten the load up so we can move forward in life. And those seasons normally are not easy. We don't, we don't often consider those desirable seasons. I will say this though, it is true that there is always a silver lining if we look hard enough. And sometimes when we go through seasons like that, once we navigate and get through it, we tend to realize that it really was a blessing in disguise. It really, really was. Absolutely. Because it did get rid of some of those boulders off of our back. And all of a sudden 
your shoulders can go up a little higher and back a little farther and your head can be up and you can go, oh, that wasn't so bad. Goodbye, right? move along, next. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I think the more we deal with those, they aren't easy, yeah. but they're easier to face. Yes, because I think you start becoming, in life, you start becoming familiar with the process and you start also to learn when it's time to surrender. <laughs> That's, a, it's interesting that, that, that you chose that word because <laughs> that is such a powerful word. Do you pick a word for each year as like your your theme? You know what? Have you sometimes, ever done that? Sometimes I do. And I, I try to incorporate words into my vocabulary that are not typical words I would use, you know. So it just depends, you know, but I'm always trying to expand my vocabulary because I have learned it's very true that uh, that different uh people use, have, have, you know, a different set of vocabulary terms. And the more I've been around certain people, I've, I've learned that to be very, very, very true. And, you know, they say that words um, can create or destroy. And so I'm, I pay a lot of attention to that. Words have a lot of power. Absolutely. And it's funny because my word for this year, <laughs> was it this year or last year? Actually last year was surrender surrender really? that i didn't always have to be in control and i, I didn't that. always have to have the final say it feels really it feels really liberating even just listening to you say that to me it does and that's the profound effect that words have on ourselves as well as others like you when you just said that i i felt that <laughs> it's very powerful and yeah. i actually learned that lesson or I had to stop and think about it. And that's how I chose it as my theme. I was being, um, I was on the assist team for Jack Canfield's train the trainer. Oh, wow. I love Jack. I love Jack. And I'm, I'm a certified Canfield trainer. So I kind of did, you know, did the Tony Robbins thing and then got into Jack and so I was at this week-long training on the assist team and I'm one, I go in and I'm like, this is what we need to do. Boom, 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 boom. Well, I, they have this thing down. They got their system going and I, I had to remind myself, Sarah, shut thy trap and just surrender <laughs> that you don't have to be in control and it's okay. You're here to help, you're here to serve, it's okay. But that was such yeah. a difficult concept for me because it was such, yeah. it was so foreign. It was like a completely foreign territory. But you can learn a lot when you do that. It and is, it's all it good. It is. I, I remember him listening to him tell a story about an anesthesiologist who came to one of his events and the man made probably about $350,000 a year. And he said um, the man, his dream was always to own his own mechanic shops and work on cars instead of, you know, working on bodies and putting people to sleep. And, and you know, it's so funny because when we learned that when we surrender 
to just what we're being called to do. We can find so much fulfillment in that. And I think we can also find financial success in it as well. So have you found your calling? I believe I have many different callings. I do. I think that, you know, that sometimes the mission and the calling, you know, um, gets a little bit immersed, if you will, or integrated with, with what we do in a day-to-day -day basis. I don't, I'm, I don't think it's just one thing though. You know, I don't, um, I, I like, for example, part of me, you know, I'm here to serve as far as homeless people making an impact, you know, I think we fed, I fed over a thousand people last year. This year is going to be several thousand people. Um, I know I helped free uh, a child from child prostitution and slavery. And so I just think it's, it's a lot of different things. I'm, help, I'm here to heal people. You know, I'm an author. I'm here to spread messages. And, and also at the same time to exemplify what's possible, you know, and, and just live my best life. So I just think it's, it's a lot of different things. But I do think that you know, the word vocation, which means calling, I do think we all have a vocation. And, and I think that, you know, if we ignore that calling, I think is, uh, you know, it's like a price to pay. Sometimes, you know, and, and here's what I mean by that. Sometimes I've done it and I've heard other people do it too. We'll, we'll say, well, you know, we'll, we'll justify taking a job to pay the bills or doing something. I'm not knocking that. We all have needs. Um, but I do think when we ignore what we are called to do, I think it comes at a at a price. I think either way you pay a price. Like if you if you ever realize, like a lot of times, I mean, even if it's somebody who says, I feel called to be a lawyer. Like I have a cousin who's completing a law degree right now and is always involved with, with missionary work. And even as a lawyer, that's her specialty. She wants to represent people who, you know, don't have that. So it's in alignment with what she's been doing her whole life, but she's able to do it from another angle. And you know, she's just in a part of her journey where she's making certain sacrifices or whatever like that. And I just say that just to say, I think, I think the sacrifices, if, if you, you know, you ignore it and the sacrifices, if you make it, you just have to figure out where you really make the sacrifices. It's going to be sacrifices one way or the other, but to me, fulfillment juice, the juice of life to me is the fulfillment of serving, especially when it comes from, from your mission and from your heart. Well, and I think I totally agree with that. I also, I think that goes along with living your purpose or as yeah. Wayne Dyer used to call it, living your Dharma. Yeah. And then you also hear different people say that figure out what you love to do and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Right. Yes. Very true. So I just, and I know I, I was listening to one of your Facebook lives this morning from last year. <laughs> Actually, it was from last April. Okay. And coming out of the whole, the lockdowns and the pandemic and the uncertainty that we were just starting and not knowing that we were going to be dealing with it for over a year, but coming out unshakable. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about giving back and and sharing your gifts and and providing free coaching do do you find that when you do that not only does it fill you up but you learn lessons in the process as well absolutely absolutely and i remember jim Rohn talking about that he he, he said 
that most of the time when you teach someone something, you'll probably get more out of it than they will. Because it's like, it's reinforced, it's in a way it's positive reinforcement to you. And sometimes like, I remember, I remember I had, I said something to my mom about a year or two ago. And I was like, yeah, mom, you know, I'm really just working to maximize my time. She uses that word sometimes now, and it'll remind me, I need to be maximizing my time out today and, and being more productive. So <laughs> it, it comes back is all I'm saying, you know, what we put out, it comes back. So it always it's funny does. how that works. <laughs> and one of the expressions that we've always used, and actually I think it was my, my old partner who was my first like lawyer boss. He used to always say teaching teaches the teacher, Sarah. So that's why he taught business law. And then it became a firm teaching business law because right we would all pick different classes that we would teach instead of right. him teaching the whole thing. And That's it's true. really true because when you teach it, you have to understand it before you can explain it to somebody else. Absolutely. So the more, <laughs> and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would guess that you're a lot like me and that the more you use the principles that you learned whether it was Tony Robbins or Jim Rohn or Jack Canfield or any of those guys, the more you use them, the easier it is to teach other people because they become part of you. And you're frozen again. Okay. Absolutely. And do you find that you do a lot of that with- I see the frozen on side. What's that? <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping we'll, we'll, we'll do some investing into that, you know, and make that better. It's a great platform. I'm hoping Zoom will, will do that. It'll be good. <laughs> so do you find that the more you teach, the more the principles are just completely woven into the fiber of your being? You know what? At first I would say, yeah, but... It, I think I, I don't really teach I really don't teach a whole lot anymore. It's, it's more no. so I, I don't because I think at first I was feeding the flock that didn't want to eat and that that wears out pretty quickly. You know? And so there's a saying that goes, um, it's, it's not the people who need it, it's the people who want it. Mm -hmm. And when I got that, it saved me a lot of time and energy and I stopped wearing myself out. So I don't really teach it. As, it, it as much as I learn, you know, as much as I learn. And then I'm around other people who are along the same thing and we're reinforcing each other. They're working on different skill sets and sometimes the same skill sets and we sharpen each other and, and, and we'll regurgitate it to each other to keep each other sharp. And then someone will go learn something else and I'm learning something else. And then we come together, you know, and there again, just to tie it all in a bit, just like my friend was talking to me today, the same guy I was talking about earlier. And he was just helping me understand the difference in and, and, you know, he's extremely successful in my viewpoint, but he was talking about a gentleman he knows who's more, way more business savvy and financially successful. But in the process of him doing that, it imprinted on me where I was maybe limiting myself. And so, you know, in understanding there are different levels to the mindsets of certain um, successes in life. And he was just going on and on telling me how this particular individual really was extremely savvy at creating a lot of uh, cash flow, you know, without him having to work for it. 
And, and I was just, I'm like, dude, you know, like I was so grateful for it. And then as he was telling it to me, I was maybe processing it in a different way. And I threw it right back at him. So he's playing a little, you know, catch, throwing catch. And uh, I, I think it was mutually beneficial. So it's just like, you know, I've heard lawyers, lawyers go to court sometimes they often have a lawyer, a consultant like yourself to show them what they don't see. And so in many ways, it's the same thing, you know. Well, we all see things through our own lens. Yeah. Right. And yeah. when somebody, we don't know what we don't know and we don't know what we don't see because we all have a different perspective. We can all go to the same event and walk away with completely different impressions of what happened or what we Absolutely. saw, what we experienced. And that's the joy of sharing. I love how you talked about the other coaches that you hang out with and you guys learn and feed off of each other and take your skills and your yourselves to that next level. And you just keep building and improving. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's truly what life is all about. And then just by improving yourself, you, you're emitting that to the world as well. So the people around you are benefiting from those experiences and those heightened awareness and, you know, notching up of where you are. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so for your coaching business, what type of clients do you, do you look for or do you attract? What, uh, how do you help people? Well, as far as how I help people, I help people see their blind spots. And you just talked about that because oftentimes it's not so much that it's so hard. It's just what we don't see. And there again, just, you know, to go back, it's just the level of thinking we're, we're, we're doing. Like Einstein said, we can't solve the problem from the same level of that created it. And it's not really that it's so hard. It's just that we get locked into that systematic way of thinking. And I've done it as well because it's what's, it's what's familiar to us. And I, I've, I've heard someone say one time, you know, the child of a billionaire, the Walton family could never think in millions of dollars. It's just not a part of their, they, they, their mindset doesn't know that. It knows billions of dollars. And so I just say that they equate us, to, to equate it to, we don't know what we don't know. We know more so what we've been exposed to. And that's what we're comfortable or familiar with and so that's how I help people as far as just showing them their blind spots, you know, and sometimes a lot of times all of us will think it's one thing and it's not really what we think it is. It's something that is totally unrelated to what we think it is. And so I help people do that, you know, just by making those little minor changes. And sometimes when we can really get to what's going on, like if someone's saying, you know, it's one thing and it's really the relationship and they're saying it's the job this relationship that's affecting how they show up at the job I help them see that and then make that shift and you know find out what they really want you know how they can get it what they need to do to make that happen if it's possible make that happen and once a person really sees that really changes energy and mindset because it goes from being something that's like this mountain and it's like oh it's just a molehill we can work around it. You can overcome it. <laughs> it's not so bad. It's, not so bad. We can no. get past that. Yeah. So in your journey, 
have you found mentors that help you along the way to identify your blind spots? And is that kind of what led you to help other people identify theirs? All the time. And that was probably, if, if I could go back and tell my younger version of myself something, it would be to get around people who are really doing what you want to do successfully. When I was young, I, mean, I had some ego with me, you know, so I would do it some, but I would, I didn't do it as full throttle. And that would be the one thing bar none for anybody. I would just be like, whoever you can find that, you know, that can pour into you like that because it saves you a lot of time and heartache and, and, and you know, and sometimes pain. <laughs> Something to be said for that. You know, you pretty much took me right into one of my questions was if you could go back and have a conversation with your 20 year old self, what would you tell him? And I think you Definitely probably that. just Definitely. answered that. You know, to, to, I would say to get around different types of people and then you can have the option of choosing which types of people you want to be around. <laughs> so I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say like, Oh, you know, just don't go out with your friends and don't, I wouldn't do that. I would say, see the difference. And then at the different phases of your life, you know, cause everybody goes through a phase. You, you're young. Most people go through a phase. You want to party and da, 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 da. And then you go through a broke phase and then you get tired of that. And you're like, okay, I need to get my priorities. So it's phases. I would just say, maybe just even when you're young, get around a little bit of both, you know, and in the different, and then you can say, well, sometimes I want to hang with my friends. And sometimes I want to be over here with people who, and or, or lawyers or business people who are really, you know, having those type of conversations and moving and shaking things that's above me and that I don't even know. And you'll start picking up a lot of things. I didn't always use words like net profit and gross revenue and generate. I, I mean, but you start hanging around business people and that's what the conversations are about. That's what they talk about. You start learning that stuff by default. And so it, it's, it's, you know, that's what I would tell a younger version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you, we first started, you talked about being an author. Mm, yes. And I think you had just published your book when we met. The Millionaire Mindframe. I sure did. The Millionaire Mindframe. <laughs> so what led you to write that book? You know what? I just wanted to, to do something to put something out there where the, the mindset, I've learned that a lot of, you know, things about the psychology behind money is really behavioral. And a lot of times, you know, the, the common advice is save this much and do da 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 da. And from the people who I know who tend to be extremely successful with finances and even business, it's all psychology. It's not just because, and here's why I say that, and this is just me learning from my own mistakes. It's like sometimes you can have the intention life is going to happen, you self sabotage you'll do, you know, I had a guy who was a multimillionaire last week or the week before. He told me when he got outside of his comfort zone of what making that much money was, he sabotaged it. And most people don't know those type of things. We just tend to think it's a, a fairy tale ending. Once you, once you accomplish these things, once I become a, a plastic surgeon or, you know, whatever, that's all she wrote. And it's, a, and it's, it's not just that black and white. It's not, it, there, you, have to, you have to groom yourself for those different type of levels I've learned. Mm -hmm. So when you wrote the book, were you a millionaire at that point? 
I was not, and the book is really not even about me, but the book is coming from people who are in that category. And so I was able to sit down and really pick their brains and, and learn the difference in, in, in mindset and just really, really, really see how they approach things from a, just a very different perspective, very different perspective. From these conversations, did you find common themes or patterns? Between them, I did. <laughs> between, what did between what they were doing and what other people were doing, absolutely, yeah. And one of those things was most of them, uh, they, they, most of them don't put a, a ceiling on their income. They, they, they tend to get paid based off of their performance or the value they deliver. And, um, and then they, you know, case in point, we, we were talking about me and my friend's conversation today. Uh, one of the things he shared with me that I picked up in his conversation with me is that the gentleman he was talking about who was so savvy at creating a lot of passive income, uh, that the focus of this man's mindset was on that. It was not on earned income or capital income, perhaps. Maybe a little bit of capital income, but it seemed that this man's focus was not on earned income at all. Most of us tend to, I mean, in, in their stages and levels to everything, you have to work, you have to earn stuff. But it was just listening to one guy who was, to me, very successful, talk about a guy who was obviously ultra financially successful. I picked up just in, in, in that, that that gentleman's mindset was really focused on if he could rent your office space out for cash flow, your office space is going to be rented out if, if he owns that. Like that was this gentleman's mindset. And it was really... Uh, obvious to me and listening to that, that even myself tend to put more focus into earned income instead of maybe even doing both at the least, you know? And so just subtle things like that is, is interesting. So his focus was on how can I generate revenue? And by generating revenue, I will make the income. So yeah, it was on the and, front and end, not the back end. Well, I mean, if, if this gentleman had something that most people would consider to be a liability, he would lease that out. If it was a boat, you know, he would lease his boat out and then let that pay for it, you know. So it very, like you said, very, very revenue generating type of a mindset, business savvy mindset. And I thought that was that was really interesting. That is very interesting. <laughs> so I also happen to know that at one point you were a bodybuilder. <laughs> I, I remember that. <laughs> I was, I would say I was, I was a fitness competitor, you know, I wouldn't say a body, but yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it a bodybuilding competition that you went to? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> okay. So I got the right vernacular. <laughs> you were ultra healthy. And yet I'm sure you still are. I do my best. <laughs> what nap? How did you navigate down that path? There again, it do it. Just you, you hit you hit certain places in life, and you and for me personally, I was an athlete growing up. You know, it was high school, elementary. I was always an athlete. So one of the things about you know, when I was a kid, there was a, a athlete named Lynn Bias. He played at University of Maryland. He died from cocaine, a cocaine overdose. So growing up, we, if you were going to be an athlete, you know, it was kind of like you had to, you had to realize that, you know, staying away from that type of stuff was the wrong way to handle life's issues. Now, a lot of people do it. I'm not judging that, but just for me personally, as an athlete, you know, it was always, always about finding a positive outlet to whatever challenges you were dealing with in life. 
So as an adult, I still had challenges and everything. And there again, when I was going through a lot of different things, I was, you know, I wanted to take it up a level, you know, cause I was still just dealing with challenges. And I was like, you know what? I want to do something I've never done before. And I want to challenge myself to get outside my comfort zone. And so I really, you know, just made that decision. Like, who do I need to become to do this and commit myself to this? And once we, we commit to something and we make that decision, we commit to something, it's amazing what we can do, you know, once we do those things. And I, I love it. I still live the lifestyle. You know, uh, I really would love to do some competitions once some of this COVID stuff calms down and everything. But uh, the commitment is always there. You know, I still eat very healthy, maybe even a little bit healthier, but not necessarily as flamboyant by, by those standards, but probably more organically. Um, and it's, it's paid off tremendously. You know, you feel great. <laughs> well, and you still look great, Jovi. I appreciate it. <laughs> so you do a lot of learning and self-improvement and reflection what is the best piece of advice that you've gotten so far in your life? The best piece of advice. What is the best piece of advice? Or what are some of the, the, the golden nuggets, if you will? Uh, I think one of the golden nuggets, first one that, that has pressed upon me by one of my mentors, not what do I want, but what am I committed to? And, and I say that from the standpoint of, a lot of us, we want things, but truthfully, it's, it's like, okay, when we ask, what am I committed to? It changes the perspective of, am I really willing to do what's required to get it? And sometimes even just for me personally, I, I just have a heart to heart with me and like, am I really going to be that committed? Because I was talking about Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon one day with my, with one of my mentors. And we was like, you know, everybody wants to have his money, but the kind of commitment that that man has to have made to his business it's probably like being married where it's, it's always on, you know, at least in the beginning, you know, I think he recently hired a CEO about a month or so ago to uh, fulfill some of those, those obligations he has. So that to me is one of the major jewels or nuggets. What am I committed to? And it's a different question than what do I want? Because commitment is a different level of energy and intensity to the outcomes. <laughs> I think that's probably a Tony Robbins thing. <laughs> I, I happen to have quotes all over. Yeah. And one of my quotes is, if you can't, you must. If yes. you must, you can. Yes. I love that one. So that kind of goes along with, well, I want it. Okay. So somebody give it to me because I want it. I'd like it. <laughs> that, that, was, that was me. What? <laughs> You're talking do, I, about me. do I have what it takes to get it? Right. Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but if I'm committed, man, I'm going. Absolutely. 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 And, you know, Jack Canfield says something that I really like, too. He's, he has something. And I've learned this to be true. This is something that I, I actually live. He says 99% is a bitch. 100%, 100% is, is a breeze. breeze. You know that. And it's very, very, very true. I will tell anybody I just had a friend of mine the other day. She said she wanted to, to do some toning up and she da, 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 lose weight and everything. I said, look, I said, I'm gonna tell you the only thing I will say to you, I support you. You know, I believe you can make this happen. I said, however, I would tell you to just go all in with it because if you dabble, forget about it. And that's, that's, that's the one thing I have learned more than anything in my entire whole life 
that right there, whatever it is that you truly desire, commit yourself to it, you know, um, your, your, your heart and your soul to it, and you can and you will. But if it's a dabble, most likely you're wasting your time. And I've, I've done a lot of dabbling in my life and I've had learned the hard way. Dabblers don't, don't normally produce great results. And nope. I know I didn't when I dabbled. <laughs> yeah, that whole little dabble do you, it'll do you nothing. Do you nothing? <laughs> nowhere. Uh, and and I'll share this one last one that a, a business lady friend of mine has told me, uh, and I've discovered this to also be true. It, it just depends. Everybody's a little different, but bar none, I've discovered. She told me she said most of the time, if you go into business and your business starts to yield profits, it normally takes at least, if you're doing really well, two to three years. I'm not saying there's not any exceptions, but she just told me realistic. I've also I've learned in my experience, trial and error, as well as having people like her who are really sophisticated, that there's a process to 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 profits and, and business and really getting it up and running. So that's you know my jewels or gems, I guess. Well, and along those lines, the the business rule of thumb that I I kind of grew up with because I grew up in a business house is that the first five years of a business are the hardest. Wow. Wow. And if you look at how business failures, most of them that are going to fail, fail within the first five years. Wow. Now, what can, what can you tell, what can you tell me about if they survive those first five years? What, what kind of, how, do, how does the game change at that point? Because you're a successful businesswoman, so <laughs> you've overcome a lot of those challenges. <laughs> I have. I think part of the the whole process is that the first five years are kind of like it's your baby, and it's mm -hmm. still your baby. I I told you we just celebrated 17 years of Rough Eye mm -hmm. Law, and wow. I can't I can't even believe that. But that is victory. It, it's here. <laughs> so you kind of look at it like infancy, toddler, teenager, mm -hmm. and businesses there. I'm a business major. So in some of my business classes, they talk about the life side, the, the life cycle of businesses and it's the infancy. And then you got ma maturity and think about how many businesses don't ultimately survive. But when you're first opening, you have so many things that you need to learn, you need to put together, even if you had experience, maybe in the same industry, but you're starting your own or an entirely different industry, mm -hmm. or you bought a new business. Yes. You still have that learning curve. Okay. And by this, I would propose that it takes about five years for that learning curve to then flatten out. Okay. And you're still going to have bumps along the way, and you're still going to have things that you need to learn. But the, the real big lessons or are the ones that you learn in those first five years, whether it's dealing with new employees, new product line, Things that you maybe didn't think about from a regulation standpoint, licensing, accounting, you name it. There are so many different avenues that all converge on this business. 
that you you don't realize that they're there until you have to encounter them and deal with them. And some of them might not happen right away. So what advice would you give to people who are watching or listening to this as far as, you know, a lot of times when a person is just starting off and they're a solopreneur and then it gets to be very overloading, what advice would you give to them to tell, to say, this is how you know it's time to hire a little bit of help, even if on a part-time basis or something of that nature? Well, first sit down and breathe. <laughs> because all we ever have to truly do is breathe. Mm-hmm. Second would be to make a list of all of those things that you do as if you were going to do job descriptions. Okay. So what all tasks do you do? And then categorize them between administrative, um, just like the work and then management type of things. Yes. Because Tony Robbins talks about at Business Mastery that every business owner wears three hats. Mm-hmm. One of them fits better than the other two. <laughs> Through that. Absolutely. So you have the entrepreneur hat. And I would be willing to venture a guess that the guy you were talking about earlier, who all he has to do is think about it and it's making money. Boy, entrepreneur to, to the club. That entrepreneur cap is firmly on his head. Yes. Then you have the artist, the person who they are in their zone doing their thing. And yeah. that's just what they love to do. And then you have the manager, the person who likes to delegate, figure out, okay, make sure we got the right people on the bus. And that they're all sitting in the right seat to maximize their efficiency and their skills. Mm-hmm. So you got to wear all three caps. Mm. And, but there are things that you may not like to do. Yeah. <laughs> so you figure out where, where your profit margins, your profit centers are, what's making you money. What tasks aren't making you money that they're taking you away from that? What don't you like to do? And is there a way that you can find somebody or something that can take some of those necessary, but I don't like tasks off your plate? Okay. That's where I would start if I were a solopreneur. Um, As an example, when I first went on my own, I knew I didn't want to answer the phones, make the copies, get the mail out and do that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So I took an assistant with me for my old firm. I I knew I did not want to be a solopreneur in any way, shape or form. I knew that I didn't want to deal with payroll. I was not going to try to figure out (laughs) what's the tax rate. I wouldn't need to be withheld. I don't want to deal with any of that crap. So I have never done a payroll. My accountant does my payroll twice a month and I gladly pay for that. And I have for 17 years. So those are the types of things that I would advise a a solopreneur or even an entrepreneur, a small business owner 
take a look at if you can forecast what's going on and it's really about being in touch with your business and where you see it going. And that's okay. where Dwight and I kind of work. He's the one over the years that'll push me, Sarah, you got to hire somebody, Sarah, you got to hire somebody. I'm like, no, I can do it. I just need to work a little more. And he's like, no, you need to hire somebody before that wave takes you out. Yeah. And so then I'll be like begrudgingly, okay, I'll hire somebody. <laughs> and then once I find that person and they're getting trained, I'm like, why didn't I do that sooner? You, you always, it's like, you always say that after you like, why did I do that for so long? Mm -hmm. And I've realized too, you know, another, another gem, I guess you could say is that you have to like really measure how much fuel you have in the tank there's only so much fuel for peak performance before i don't really care who you are unless you're properly leveraged and systemized and all of that stuff your gas tank is going to need to be refueled you're going to yep. need to recharge so it's like you said like I'm, I'm learning that and i love listening to you talk about that it's like okay what where does the focus need to be at so we can get the results and we can continue to operate and do what we want to do because if not then it feels great if I'm an artist and I'm creating, which I am, I'm an artist entrepreneur, but who can manage that project? And then who can I bring in that can sell these products that that's what they love to do. And it's like, we can bring it all together. And now we, we, we got a little team here that can really, you know, just take this thing and grow it. And so, yeah. And one of my, my suggestions for you on that path would be, I am a systems kind of a girl. I love my systems. I love my checklists. I love my forms. <laughs> I hate reinventing the wheel. It drives me up a wall. Yes. <laughs> and the more checklists and systems and forms that you have in place, they help you keep all of this stuff straight I don't try to keep it all straight up here anymore. It's kind of like the boulders we were talking about in the backpack. Cause when I, when I try to keep it all up there, something falls out. Absolutely. And in my world, if something falls out, that means I'm getting sued for malpractice. Wow. Absolutely. And I, I don't like that. No. <laughs> so, and when I, I hand things off, I still want them done to my standards. Yeah. Yeah. And I want them done my way. There are steps that need to be followed. Yeah. And the easiest way for people to follow steps is if they're actually written down. That makes sense. That makes sense. So you can help leverage yourself before you hire somebody right. by, by setting up those systems. And then once your workload has filled up that leverage that you gained, right. that cushion, then you can take those systems and transfer them to maybe it's a virtual assistant. Maybe yeah. it's some part-time kid. If it's looking at marketing and social media, because yeah. Lord knows they get that. Oh, yeah. wait, I have a 16, a 17 and a night. How old is Tony? 19 year old. He just turned 19. So I... <laughs> I get to waffle on that one. Um, 
So they're 19 and 17 and they're doing my podcast and they're helping me with my, my social media stuff and how to make it easier for mom to post these things that I can schedule them and out they go. And it's awesome. Yes. But I handed that off to teenagers because that's the world that they, they grew up in. It is. And, and they, I mean, they know, they know what's coming before it comes and which is really important right now because I mean you're on a platform out there doing marketing and it's, and it's a decreasing audience on it and then you have something like TikTok where that's the one that's you know on fire right now then it's like you want to put more of your time resources obviously into something like that you know I'm just saying <laughs> yeah I don't but yeah, I, I spend all their I'm, time. I'm, I'm behind the curb on that too. I I, I am. I, I keep abreast of, of technology just in terms of knowing what's coming so I don't get caught off guard so I can, you know, anticipate what's coming. But like you said, they're in it. And when you're in it and you live in it, it that's what they do. <laughs> it is. And I'm just like, oh my God. Right. But <laughs> those are the, the kind of ways, you know, and when you find if you find a teenager or even a virtual assistant, yeah, you can find them relatively inexpensive. Yep. You know, and even putting materials together, putting ads together, you got Fiverr, there's Upwork. Yep. I just did a, an ebook. I did my first ebook and I found this guy in the Ukraine who laid it out and designed it for me. 200 bucks. You can't beat outsource it. I'm, I'm going to say this, you know, the first time I did a, a, pro, a project, I think I, I did the conversion of EPUB myself. It was like a disaster. I successfully did, but it was a disaster. The second time I outsourced it to somebody on Fiverr. The guy got it done in like four hours for probably less than a hundred bucks. I mean, yep. and he did a solid job. I mean, so there again, if whoever's watching this, like, what Sarah just talked about as far as outsourcing and leveraging and systemizing, it's probably like $500 or $1,000 easily in, in, in just information that if you follow it and do it, you know, as, as it works for you, it will save you a tremendous amount of time, heartache, money. <laughs> Always a good thing. <laughs> Always a good thing. <laughs> so, Jovi, what was... And I think we kind of touched on this before, but what was a pivotal moment in your life and what lessons did you learn from it? Pivotal moment. What lessons did I learn from it? There's been a lot. <laughs> you think of one that just kind of is right there. Um, you know what? Just that I would probably say that, you know, the more the more good you put into your life, the more good you'll get out of your life. You know, if you surround yourself with a lot of negativity and gossip and just things that really aren't uplifting, then that's going to be a reflection of your life. And if you, you know, I was listening to Minister Olstein today. I, I listened to Lakewood's uh, ministry quite often. I was driving home and I just realized how positive um, of a man and a message that this gentleman, Joel Olstein has and I was just thinking about like when I first started listening to him, I didn't have this kind of mindset that I did, but because I, I you know, connected and affiliated myself with his ministry, 
Um, it's led, it led to one thing, which led to another thing. And then, so just, you know, I would just say that just, you know, if you put garbage in, you get garbage out. If you put, you know, high octane performance fuel in your Ferrari or your Lamborghini, your life's going to drive like a Ferrari, Lamborghini or Mercedes Benz or BMW, whichever one you prefer. <laughs> That's very true. So growing up in North Carolina, what did you want to be? A lot of different things. When I was in high school, I wanted to make it to the NBA. Uh, I tore my ACL my senior year of high school. And so that was like, I you took know, care the, of that one. Yeah, that was the end of the hoop dreams for me. And then, you know, when I became an adult, I got involved with music and I really, you know, enjoyed production and, and making music. Had a lot of different talented artists I was working with, had a studio I built and put together, put out several albums. And my mentor is actually a very successful music producer in the, the music industry right now. You know, um, he's worked with a lot of big name artists. Uh, but, you know, there again, I wasn't committed to that. It was something that I, I love to do just to do, but I, I didn't have that commitment. I never put my heart and my soul into being committed into it. Didn't so have that, that passion? Me, I had the passion, but just not the commitment. And, and the reason why I say that, to answer your question, I would say that, that right there, and I know I've said it several different times, the commitment. If you commit to it, the other stuff will come. And it, whether it's two years, three years, four years, five years, a decade, it will, because you'll put the work behind it. And for me personally, how I measure myself on if I really want something or not, is that I ask myself, am I willing to work for it? And if I say, if I, if I, if I say, hey, you know what, I want this. And then I say, okay, well, am I willing to work for it? And if I feel like it's not something I'm willing to work for on a consistent continuing basis, I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time with it, you know, because it, it, it takes commitment. The world is such a competitive place. I mean, you could be, you know, a, a dog and pony, you know, magician in Las Vegas. And there's, I'm sure, a ton of people out there who are masters at it. And when you go to Las Vegas, they're like, oh, well, how good are you? What kind, How big of a crowd can you draw? And I mean, I'm just saying, like, it takes commitment to be to really be successful in anything, I don't care what it is, uh, it, you have to have that commitment. That's the pivotal thing for me. <laughs> so you piqued my curiosity since I got a kid who's like gung-ho on, on music. And if it wasn't for COVID, his plans were to move to Nashville. Oh, great city for music. Mm -hmm. it, I, he knows. <laughs> it was Nashville or LA and mom and dad were like, Nashville. <laughs> So what, what did you play or what did you do? Tell me more about that. Well, I was doing like a lot of rap music and R&B music and I was the producer, you know, I was the songwriter and I would bring different acts into my studio and very, a lot of talented people, very talented. And I'm sure there again, some of those people, if I really would have stayed committed with it, they would have gotten big record deals. Some of them, um, they were just that talented. And, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun with it. I really did, you know. That's interesting. I had no idea. <laughs> there, there's a big lesson for me today. Well, let me, I should let me be tag surprised, on to, but well, I had no idea. Well, let me, tag, let me tag on to your lesson then so that the people who watch this will get something out of it. And, and we'll, we'll take this back into something that I learned from Jack Canfield, which is we all have a lot of successes and sometimes we just don't give ourselves credit for that. You know, and sometimes, you, you know, certain things like that, I look at it at that time, I didn't really consider it a big deal, but it was a big deal. We were taking albums and going out and selling them, 
you know, in just different places and just doing things like that. And I was in my twenties, it was fun, you know, but you know, sometimes we undermine things we've done. So for anybody out there, just sometimes, you know, look back at certain things you've done, whether you consider it a big deal or not to someone else, it may be a big deal and just uh, acknowledge yourself and celebrate yourself for some of the things you've done. Well, and I, that's a very good point because I don't think people really do that. We don't, we don't want to come across as arrogant or egotistical. <laughs> and Dwight and I have actually talked about that a lot over the years. Yeah. That we just talk about things that we do because that's what we do. It's who we are. Absolutely. You know, walking across 1200 or 1800 degree coals. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Well, I'm a firewalker. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, yeah. <laughs> Done it a few times. Yeah. <laughs> and people look at you like, oh, really? You can't do that. And it's like, okay. Right. You know what? You're right. I can't do that. I just happened to do it. Exactly. Um, but how, you know, how often do people actually put themselves on the top of the list if they talk about things that they love or that they're grateful for or their accomplishments? We don't, we tend to minimize our accomplishments or what we've done because we don't want other people to feel bad. And that actually is not a good thing. Well, I don't want to label it and say it like that. Let me say it in a more, uh, a better way, perhaps. Uh, Joseph McClendon, who's Tony Robbins' business partner, yeah. one of the things that, you know, about once a month, I get on a call with him and, and several other people and he'll mentor us and everything. But one of the things he always tells us, he says it over and over and over again, he says, if you want to change your life quickly, praise yourself constantly. He always says that he never changes it. And sometimes I still don't do it en enough. And one of the things he'll tell us to do is he'll say, take your cell phone. He'll say, program it for maybe every 30 minutes or hour for it to go off, tell Siri. And just give yourself a compliment. Because we do so much that we don't give ourselves credit for. And as, as someone who is... Uh, what is Joseph? He, his, his background is a neuropsychologist. So he understands the workings of the brain. Well, he says what we're doing is we're training ourselves to want to do more of the positive activities that we're doing mm -hmm. by acknowledging ourselves. And I've heard other people say similar things as well. Like if you don't, if you work hard all the time and you don't ever reward yourself or give yourself some acknowledgement, at some point your subconscious mind will shut down and it will literally say, I'm not gonna do anything else because you haven't taken care of me. <laughs> I, I actually, I believe that. I do too, I've had it happen to me. <laughs> I totally believe that. I'm doing such a great job right now. Sarah, <laughs> you're doing such a phenomenal job. Give yourselves a big pat on the back. Pat your back. <laughs> Jack Canfield actually does something along those same lines and it's a, a challenge. And a friend of mine actually put a little sheet together with 40 smiley faces to fill in that every night, look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself, I love you. Yes. Because when was the last time you actually told yourself you love you? Yes. You know, you actually look and say, Sarah, I love you, or Jovi, I love you. Yes. And then compliment yourself and tell you, look in the mirror and say, these are three things that I accomplished today. 
These are three things I'm grateful for me. Yes. And how hard that exercise is. Mm. And to do it for 40 days in a row by the time, you know, it's just like building any other muscle, right? By day 20, you're developing that muscle and that habit. Yes. But if you miss a day, you're starting on day one. <laughs> yes. A lot of friends of mine and I that were in the train the trainer program, it took multiple times to actually hit 40 days in a row. You know what? The I did the, something similar as an exercise that was the money affirmation one. And you're absolutely right. I think about at day 15, I, st I wanted to start slacking off, but I had written it out as a goal and I was determined. And that's the only thing that pushed me through you know, because his whole thing was, you know, if you keep, if you do it consistently, that's when you'll lock it in, you'll get it. But about halfway through, I did, I wanted to just say, and not because I wanted to quit, I just wanted to just maybe, oh, this isn't working, you know, whatever else. The mind starts to, the, those subconscious that things, they start to come in. The mind, yeah. as Tony talks about, <laughs> takes over, or tries to take over that bully. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's crazy stuff. It's really powerful when you think about mm -hmm. what we have the ability to do compared to what we do when we're not committed. And I love the that word and how many times it's come up tonight because yeah. commitment truly is the game changer. Yes. And there again, that, that, that comes from one of my mentors. Um, I will say this, I think as some of the younger generations, my generation included, uh, and I was born in 79. So I, I, oh, uh, you're a lot a times, baby. I well, <laughs> you know what? And I am, but I will say a lot of times I consider my generation coming through the eighties to be like some, a little bit of the last of the dying breed from some of the older generation that had a very hard work ethic. So I'm cut from a little bit of the old school cloth just enough to have it in me. Um, well, we but, were cut from the same cloth. I just happen to be on one end and you're on the other. <laughs> you know what? And, but there's, and that's valid. So that's a blessing. But I will say this, it's because of my affiliation with my mentor that I realized that a lot of the failures we experience in life, they really come from a lack of commitment. And it's not because I'm just so big on commitment. I, I, I honor commitment. It's because I've learned the hard way that not being committed it guarantees I probably won't succeed. And I don't, and I, and I want to succeed more than I want to fail. So it's like, I, so I'm not just a stickler for someone like that. And I do think truthfully, as I've learned more and more and more that anything, whether it's our marriage, our career, our business, our finances, if we'll commit to it, we will get the results. If we will not commit to it, You'll get the you'll get the results, but the opposite. They won't be the ones we want. <laughs> it's true. It and is so, true. It, yeah, I mean, so you, it's just that you you realize different people they they have different, like you said earlier, a vernacular, a vocabulary terms. You know that sometimes we can incorporate it into to our own lifestyle. It's like Tony always says. You know, somebody says pissed off that that creates one emotional reaction. Another person says, I'm just a bit tinkled. I laugh when I hear somebody say that, you know? So, so it's just, it, it means it's the same thing. It's an expression of, of emotion. But there again, like you said earlier in the, in the conversation, uh, words create meaning. Mm -hmm. 
Well, they create meaning, they create feeling, they create energy because yeah. words are energy, just like everything is energy. Yes. And using your example of two words to describe the same situation have very different feelings. Very much so. <laughs> so, you know, what do you want out of the situation? And it really yeah. does. It goes along with Jack Canfield's taking 100% responsibility. 99%'s a bitch, 100%'s a breeze. Because as long as you have that 1% out there looking for the excuse or the escape hatch, you aren't totally focused and committed. Absolutely. So Absolutely. since you are, I, I look at you and, and I, I think of someone who truly is driven to be the best version of himself. Thank you. I, I consider it a very high compliment. compliment. It is a high, and it was intended to be that way. I, I'm so, I'm so just, I, I look at you and I'm, I'm always in awe. How do you motivate yourself? I don't really think I motivate myself to be truthful, which I'll get leverage on myself, pain, pain, you know, or pleasure perhaps motivates me, I guess. I don't really do a lot of motivation speeches and things like that. Like, I don't care for that. I think point in time where, you know, put on a song that you love to listen to, it will inspire, um, I like inspiration. It will inspire or motivate you. So I'm not against that word. But for me growing up, it was like people used to do a lot of the events when I was growing up and it would be, it was all about motivation. And most people, they would get motivated, but their lives really wouldn't change. So I like to be motivated. Like I see somebody that's successful or they're driving that car I want, or they're just whatever, doing very well. That motivates me, but I really don't care about motivation. I like inspiration. And for me, what has worked for me is becoming a different person, becoming a different version of myself. And every, uh, most people who are at the highest level of success, women, men, doesn't matter they constantly redefine who they are and what's possible for them. The lady, I just saw the lady who wrote the book, The Course in Miracles on Oprah last Sunday. She's phenomenal. And I still haven't read that book. I've had so many people tell me about that book and, I, and I'm gonna read that book now. And I feel like I'm way behind because I knew the universe would tell me a long time ago to read it. But the lady- It wasn't the right also, time. I, I, I like that because I feel, I'm starting to feel like it's, it's, it's close to being the right time, but to listen to her mindset and to see how she would say things like, you know, I choose to see this situation with love. And she would say, you know, things like if she wasn't getting along with someone, like, you know, she would just say, I asked the universe or I asked God, how can I create space you know, for, for this, to surrender to this, just different, just the mindset, like, it's like, wow. Like, so for me personally, it's all about always becoming a different version of myself because the different levels of whatever level of success, it will require a different version. The version of me in my twenties couldn't see myself, you know, doing some of the things I'm doing now at that time. And so I think what's great about that for everybody is we all have different versions of ourselves. And as long as we, we do the work and we stay committed to it, it may not happen overnight. It might happen overnight, but it'll happen as long as we're doing our part. I'm really hopeful about that. And I think a lot of other people will be as well. <laughs> okay. Since you don't 
you don't motivate yourself and I'm perfectly, I'm good with that. How do you inspire yourself on a daily basis to show up as the best version of yourself or show up to improve? I have a lot of rituals and I, and I also have other people's processes that I follow and use. I, I use some of Tony's stuff, but his is not the only one. There are a lot of people out here, they figure some stuff out and that saves, that'll save you a tremendous amount of time, you know? So figure out, you talked about systems earlier. If you use systems and leverage systems in your business, as well as your you know, personal life, figure out, you know, some processes or some systems that you like and that you feel will produce results and, you know, incorporate it, integrate it into your life on a daily basis. That's what I do. One of the things I was just talking about uh, when I posted on my Instagram account the other day was just journaling. And I got away from journaling at one point in time. I used to journal every day and now I'm getting back into it where I started back journaling every day. But when I saw the difference in my life, because I wasn't processing my emotions when I stopped journaling. And then when I started back journaling, you would be amazed. Most people would be amazed as how something just as simple as that can really make a difference in the quality of your life and your mood and how your emotional state on a day-to-day -day basis versus you just, you know, not processing it. <laughs> it's funny. I've, I've tried to journal and then, you know, so I do it a few days and then it, just kind of life gets in the way. I actually just started journaling again on Monday you. on Tony's birthday <laughs> because something happened. Actually, he had said how, how so I took Tony who's 19 and Joey who's 13. So my oldest and my youngest went to Kiwanis with me. Nice. And seeing as how they're always glued to their devices, right? Joey was playing this game on his phone. Would you rather? So it gives you two options and which one would you rather do? Well, one of the things that popped up is, would you rather have the approval of your parents or the approval of your friends? And Tony goes, I would rather have the approval of my parents. Yeah. So I said, would that be because I'm sitting right here? Because <laughs> I'm like, you're just being a suck up because it's your birthday and what, what's your present? Right? And he goes, no, mom. I really, I, I strive for your and dad's approval. Yes. And I was like, well, then you must be turning a corner because you really weren't striving for our approval for, I don't know, ages of 12 to 19. Yeah. And I was just like, so I wanted to capture that moment. Yeah. Cause I go back and I, I read through the journals and it's usually one of the boys did or said something that I didn't want to forget. So it's like walking down memory lane. So I wanted to make sure that I captured that. And that was one of the things I told Dwight, I didn't want to give up something for Lent. I wanted to do something that improves me. I like that. That's a different perspective, a different way of framing it. Right. And so what I wanted to do was journal. Granted, I didn't quite start on Ash Wednesday, but I started on Monday. <laughs> that is nice. And, and it's funny how it changes your mindset 
I journal at night before I go to bed. Yes. Because what we spend the last 15 minutes of our day doing is what our brain works on overnight. Yes. Right? Yes. So I've been waking up in a much better mood because I've been grateful and kind of reflecting on the day and not the crap part of the day, but the good part of the day and putting it on paper. <laughs> so my brain can work on that good part and say, hey, I want more of that stuff. Yes. You find that when you journal as well, as part of the, the process, processing your, your feelings, your emotions, your goals, ambitions. Yes, it, it makes a very big difference. And I, I had a lady tell me one time when I asked her, we, I think we were talking about Napoleon Hill's book, Thank and Grow Rich. And I asked her, I said, why do you think that thoughts are things? And we were, what we were talking about was when you write things down, how much more powerful it is when you get it out of your head, just like you just said. And she said, you know what, Jovi? She said, I think it's because you made it tangible when you write, when you write it down. And I was like, oh. it exists. Yes, it is this. You Somebody else can see yeah. it. And I, I always, that always stuck with me, you know, like, so make it tangible, write it down. I like that. <laughs> I think the other part of that is that you're using more than just your brain. Yeah. You're using your sight and touch. So all of a sudden your, your senses get involved in the I love that, experiment. Sarah. Yes. I love that. I really like the tangible part. You know, it's, it's amazing because a lot of people, what is the gentleman's name now who a lot of people, gosh, what's this guy? Dr. Um, I forget. Wayne Dyer? Not him. There's another guy. I'm sorry, I'm not able to remember his name right now, but I think he's doing very well with a lot of the, the things of how the brain works. But every, everyone who, whether it's Jack, Tony, or, 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 or this guy, and I apologize, it, it slipped my name, my mind, but all say that when we get the senses involved, like you just said, the emotions, you know, we celebrate as if it's already happened, which is one of the things Jack often talks about. We put it on the vision board and we yep. see ourselves actually in that home, in that car, you know, running that business, whether it's visualizing or putting it on the vision board. Getting the emotions involved has the ability to manifest and create. And there, there obviously is, is, a, is another dimension involved in it, but they all say that whether it's Bob Proctor or, or just whoever, that is the one parallel all of you know, everyone says, even Jack, you know, a lot of times when Jack talks about if you're going to do an affirmation, he'll say, invoke the emotion of that affirmation, you know, so you, you say, you know, I'm now happily and gratefully earning, you know, $10 million a year more. And when you get the emotions involved and you see it in your mind, all of that's going on at the same time, we all have ability powers that we often don't give ourselves credit for. Well, it's really powerful when you go through the visualization process and you yeah. sit there and you close your eyes and you visualize whatever goal it is being complete and yes. you invoke every one of your senses as part of that vision what do you see what do you hear what do you smell is there a taste involved is there a breeze what's the temperature like What's the energy? 
and how it changes your physiology by rewiring the subconscious in your head is so incredible. Yeah. And Tony Robbins, there are how many, there are three ways to quickly change your state. Absolutely. And the easiest one is your physiology. Yes. And the physiology is the, the very heart of the whole visualization process. Mm. And, wow. you know, even when you put it on a vision board, you can clearly see it. But if you've visualized it in your head, while you see it, your body is invoking those other senses. That's amazing. Even to, even to this day, you know, it just amazes me the power of our subconscious minds. And I heard one gentleman refer to our subconscious mind as an 800 pound gorilla. And I will say, you know, if you really want to change your life, find out how to get that gorilla to work for you instead of against you. And most of us don't get a manual when we're born with that part. <laughs> It'd kind of be nice if we all came with a manual. It would be really Just nice. <laughs> As the mother of four, it would have been nice if each of them came with the manual. God wanted they to make sure you kept growing. <laughs> a lot of differences. <laughs> oh this has been a lot of fun. It has been. So a couple more. Yes. I know you did some, some Facebook Lives during yes. the lockdown. Yes. What is one of the, the lessons that you learned during 2020, during the lockdowns? Mm. I would just say for me personally, it was like, learn to have, learn to choose the perspective on, on, on something. That's one of the things I would say because sometimes, you know, it just depends. And, and everybody, I wanna be sensitive about this situation because everybody experiences something different. So I don't, I would never want it to come across like I'm being um, insensitive to what happened with COVID because I knew a lot of people who I grew up with that lost people and um, even certain family members, I, I know that none of them fortunately passed, but you know, several of them did get, you know, the, the, the and survive and everything. So I wouldn't ever want to make it sound like I'm saying like something's positive about people being sick or losing their lives. But I would say for me personally, it was somewhat of a, a blessing in disguise because it was like, you know, I've gone through certain seasons in my own life where I felt like those were seasons where they just were unfruitful. And so for me personally, it was more so like, okay, now I have a lot of time. I can connect with my family. I can really focus on some endeavors. And so for me, my personal perspective was, I just chose to frame it in terms of, this is a season of restoration. And I just trust that my creator is working it all out for the highest good, you know, and slowing us down a little bit because I think the world personally had become so fast paced where we were allowing ourselves, the pace to be dictated by technology. We weren't really, when we we're sitting down having dinner with our family, we weren't really connecting and having true FaceTime. We got our face to the phone. You know, we're not going outside and taking a nature walk. You know, we're not slowing down and just smelling the roses. So I just always look for the silver lining. And, and that doesn't mean 
I always feel like there's a silver lining. I just always, my mindset is no matter how bad the situation, I always take it a liability and turn it into an asset. And that's worked pretty good for me. <laughs> that's awesome. Because that actually follows Jack Canfield's 100% responsibility. Yes. Right? Yes, it so does. you look at the 100% responsibility and you apply the, the, the nifty little formula of <laughs> E plus R equals O. COVID is the event. Yes. COVID itself and the shutdowns, it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. Yes. And the outcome is driven since the event of COVID is neutral. Yes. Our outcome is driven by our response. Yes. I love your response being that it's a, a time for restoration. Yes. There are a lot of people that made a lot of money yeah. during the shutdowns yeah. because they were yeah. essential. Yeah. And there were a lot of people that are really suffering yes. because somebody determined that they weren't essential. Yes, very true. There are people that got COVID and didn't know about it. There are people that got it and got sick. Yes. And there are people that got it and couldn't fight it. Yes. But that's part of living too. And I, I also, I don't mean to come across as cold hearted. Yeah. <clears throat> but I also think about up until this year when apparently the flu and the common cold don't exist. Right. Right. My mom just mentioned that the other day. She said, I don't know anybody who's had a cold this year. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that amazing? That's because it's all COVID. Um, <laughs> I'm a little jaded. That is amazing. But when I was growing up and even when I was older, I always heard that the flu is a young man's enemy and an old man's friend. Mm. Because you think about how many older people, if they get the flu, yeah, it's the end. Very true. Very true. And, and they just, they can't beat it. And they, that's their end, yeah. but it's, it's okay with them. That's just how yeah. they go. Yeah. But it's the young people who get it that are really struggling and battling with it wow. because they aren't supposed to die. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. supposed to have so much more life and ahead of them. Yes. But again, it just is. Is it fair that people get cancer? Is it fair that people get diabetes or any other disease? Yes. Is it fair? No. No. Is it part of life? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And is there a silver lining with those? There is if you look for it. I believe so too. I believe so too. I do. So I, do. I love, I love, 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 love <laughs> that it was a time of restoration. Yeah. Yeah. I looked yeah. at it as my pause button. Yes. Because I, I've often said it would be really nice if I had a pause button that I could catch up. I'm sure that felt really good hitting that pause button too. I never expected my governor to be the one to give it to me. <laughs> but 
when the governor decided that our whole yeah. state was basically shutting down, I was like, I literally had a month where I would pick up my phone to see if I had a dial tone. Yes. When that first happened, I was like, oh, crap. What am I going to do? And then I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> I got my pause button. I'm making this work. Yes. So it really is. It's all about perspective. I, yeah, I, th I think so. That's the only thing we can really control at the end of the day, I think. I think the most powerful people, not powerful like they control everything, but the philosophers, the ancient you know, people, Socrates, Buddha, and all of them, they all knew that. They, they all knew like, you know, if you can control that, you got it. Everything they figured helped. it out. Yeah. <laughs> I, if, if I can figure out how to control me. Yes. And the mind. Yes. A hundred percent of the time. I got it. You got it. it. <laughs> Game over. That's right. I win. You win. It's over. Amp down. I got this. You are the victor. But that that truly is the game, isn't it? It is. It and is. it's the challenge. It is. Now I have a question for, for you. I want to ask you. Could you I would love, you know, for you to just tell me a little bit about your book project and how that, that project came about and what was like the intended outcome of it. It took 12 years to write it. Because Dwight decided when Joey was born that I needed to write a book. Wow. And I needed to share some of the things that I had learned in the first, well, let me see, three years of practicing on my own. So in the middle of that five years, right? What I had learned, he goes, you have so much knowledge to share. You need to write a book. Mm. I was like, okay, in my spare time, got it. So I sat down, opened up a computer and started typing. Now, mind you, Joey was baby number four in five and a half years. <laughs> and the computer got shut down and I didn't pick it up again for a lot of years. Until one day, not that Dwight didn't try to get me to write it and right. to continue, to continue, but I, I just, too many other things going on, right? You can always find an excuse, can't you? Yeah, we can. We can. There's no doubt Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. I still get on myself sometimes about that. Like, why are you making that excuse, dude? Like, really? <laughs> then I decide that it just wasn't the right time either. Kind of like reading The Course in Miracles. Yeah. You, you feel like you're behind, <laughs> but you're not behind. You're on your schedule. Absolutely. And your schedule doesn't have to be somebody else's. Yeah. So probably five years ago, we were at the solo and small firm conference, which is a conference we go to every October. I've been a speaker there for, I think about 15 or 16 years. And Dwight being Dwight was talking to this guy and he was in a booth where they were selling like secure, promoting securities and retirement plans for lawyers. So Dwight starts talking to this guy and he goes, so, what do you do when you're not selling insurance for Ralph? 
<laughs> and Phil goes, I'm an editor and I'm a writer. And Dwight was like, really? Actually, Phil has a question that he asks people and I can't remember what it is, but something along the lines of, are there things that messages you want to get across, but you don't have time to write them or something along those lines? Whatever the question was, Dwight goes, that's us and we need to talk. So they started talking and Dwight liked what he heard. And he comes back to, to me and he goes, I found the guy who's going to help you write your book or I found your editor for your book. And I was like, that means I have to write it. <laughs> and I couldn't find what I had started like what nine years earlier yeah. so I started over and Phil was my editor and it took us two or three years at, at that yeah. point to actually get it done but I would go away for weekends and the whole idea was to write a book to help female attorneys live in harmony between their personal life and their, their practice. Because it just so happens that women, even though roughly half of the graduating classes in law school are female, right. they leave the practice of law in droves in about year five. Wow. Between years five and seven, and it's not like they just take time off to have kids and come back or go to a smaller firm or open their own doors. No, they literally leave the practice of law. Mm. And so the American Bar Association was actually doing like a research, if you will, trying to figure out why. Okay. And I was like, duh, that's kind of a no brainer if you're a woman in that age bracket who had to make the decision or thought she had to make the decision. So my book is all about how we've run our business and how I've changed my mindset yeah. on different things to work. And when I started, it was all about the work-life balance because yeah. that was the catchphrase, right? <laughs> and then when a friend told me that that's an impossible thing, it's harmony, living in harmony, that really resonated with me. I like that. I love that. So word. it's it's full of examples on, you know, I have a point, then I have an example of how we've applied that point and then right. summarize the point. But I talk about networking and client development, how we've truly changed change that when I first started practicing, I, well, not even when I first started practicing, when I first opened my doors, I worked with a business coach who has a rule of thumb that I have used for the past 17 years that you need three contacts per week to maintain your business, five contacts per week to grow it. Mm. But he doesn't define what a contact is. Okay. So I had looked at it that I need to have three to five little tan squares on my calendar because that's the color for client development okay. every week. Well, I've changed my perception as to what a contact is. 
And I, I don't even have to count. Do I have my three to five? I know I have way more because I've turned client development into a lifestyle. It's not an event. It's all about building relationships with everybody around us, everybody that we encounter and making sure that they know what I do mm-hmm. and how I can help. And it just so happens that I'm now developing a course called the networking lifestyle that I'm going to be launching, focusing on that particular chapter in my book and helping people change how they view client development or networking. Yes. It's so funny that, that you say that because that was one of the reasons I thought about the young lady I I told you I wanted to connect you with is just listening to you know some of the things you said and some of the things that I've heard her say when we talk the 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 language that you both use is very obviously you both are lawyers but it's very similar language and it, it, she immediately came to my mind I was like I got to connect it these two you know ladies because I could just see the correlation right there uh-huh <laughs> so that was one another chapter talks about designing your environment And that it doesn't matter if it's a cubicle, the corner office, or the whole building. But no matter what your space is like, you can personalize it. And like when my kids were little, it was personalized all right. It looked like a daycare center. I had the pack and play in the corner in my office, and there was usually a kid sleeping in it. (laughs) I've had the little... um, horse on with the springs and the metal frame i don't know if you had that when you were a kid or i did i did yep it just popped into my mind when you said it so they were usually pretty dangerous which is why you can't find them anymore especially those string or the the springs but (laughs) dwight found one of those at a garage sale or at a church sale and he bought it so that was in my office for years (laughs) but even now i have pictures of my family all over I have artwork that Dwight's painted on my walls instead of, you know, going down to a store and buying it, those types of things. And the biggest compliment I had one day was a brand new client that I had never met, walked into my office, into the front door and goes to my, my legal assistant. I feel like I'm walking into a friend's house. Wow. I was like, that would be by design. How about that? <laughs> so you know who your clients are, know who your audience is and design your space that it's going to be comfortable for them to walk mm-hmm. into it because people come to me with a problem that they can't solve on their own. Yes. If they could solve it, they wouldn't be walking through my door. (laughs) True. Very true. Very true. So the first thing I want to do is put them at ease and knowing that they're in a safe environment, they can feel comfortable and we can help them with their problem. So that that's all about designing the space. And it's fun hearing people talk when they come into my office what their impression is. 
I can only imagine. So there's a section on that. There is a section on systems and processes and yes. checklists. Yes. Because I rely on that for consistency and to make my life easier. I like that. I'm taking a note on that part. And delegate. <laughs> so when you hire a, your first employee or you hired a virtual assistant, how do you delegate to them? Right. It truly is an art form. Kind of goes along the, the lines of garbage in, garbage out. So had there been time <laughs> before you had your checklist and, and, and were there times where maybe you did something and you delegated it to someone who had not gone through that with you before and it came back and you're like, what the heck is this? Yes. <laughs> but I also think a lot of the, the things that are in there and a lot of the lessons have come from when I first started practicing law and how that firm was run. Okay. So for example, I liken the, the learning curve for a lawyer out of law school to be a sheer cliff. Okay. Because now that you got your ticket, everybody expects you to know everything and be able to take care of the problem right off the top of your head. Right. Well, okay. So law, to, law school teaches you how to think. You, you learn to think a different way. You process information a different way. But you don't know all of the areas of the law, all of the nuances, all of the situations you're going to encounter. But your client walking through the door expects you to know that. Okay. So it's incredibly stressful. But when I first started practicing, I'll just take the delegation, for example. I would go into the senior partner's office with my notepad and I'd get the file and he would explain what was going on and then tell me to what I needed to do and I'll go do it. If I didn't take very good notes, which fortunately for me, I take good notes and I always have, I would miss so much information and then I would go back to my office and I'd start working on it. I'd either have questions and I'd have to go ask him again. <laughs> and then he'd be like, I already told you that. Some people love to say that too, by the way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Why didn't you hear that? Why didn't you? Well, don't you know that? And then I would have to go back. Or I would muddle through and try to figure it out on my own. And then I would give them the work product and it would come back looking like somebody bled all over the paper with the, the red ink. So when I do my delegations, they're always written yes. so that if it comes back as a bunch of crap, I go back to the form saying, was it how I explained it or was it how they, they interpreted or did the work? That makes a lot of sense. Where is the breakdown in the communication? And I don't have to worry about them taking notes because I clearly define it in my delegation form of how we got to where we are and what we need to do, what our, what our goal is, and what the steps are to get there. Okay. So not everybody does it that way. I think you just help me automate my relationship. 
<laughs> it would you cut out a lot of miscommunication like you know like it does just writing it down like no this is what we agreed to like and like you said like i mean i think that's i think that's a great process really i'm not i'm joking but i'm serious too <laughs> it is it truly is think about how many problems happen because of a breakdown in communication very true very true and especially in business, if you can avoid that breakdown in communication, it's a win for everybody. Okay. It's a win for you. It's a win for the person you're delegating to. It's a win for your customer. And it's a win for your business. Absolutely. Everybody wins. And then I also have one on the importance of mentoring. Being a mentor and having mentors. Because I think no matter how old you are, it's important to still have mentors because there is still somebody that has gone farther than you have. Yes. And it's okay to outgrow your mentors. Mm, I love that. That means you, you're experiencing some great growth. And if your mentors don't have mentors, yes, then they might just be staying at the same plane. And if you're working with somebody to take you up to that plane and you want to keep working, but they don't, they can't take you someplace where they haven't been. That makes sense. So that's, those are kind of the overall topics in my book. And um, it's, it's kind of fun. It sounds like a lot of valuable content, especially because it's so focused on providing the type of solutions that people who really work in that field deal with. And that it sounds like you've already been able to successfully navigate around that. A whole know. lot of trial and error, Jovi, trial and error. That's the, that's the thing. I was hard headed. It took me a while before I realized like, bro, you got to stop this trial and error thing. Get around some people who can, can, cause it, you're wasting. I was, I was wasting a lot of time. I was coming up against the same, you know, brick wall. And I was like- Blind spots by any chance, Jovi? No, it wasn't even blind spots. You know what it was? It was, it was, it was just wanting to be, uh, have an ego that felt I like- I do it on my own? Yes, that's exactly what it was. But you know what? You can do it on your own and you can do it with the help a whole, go a whole lot farther. So much better. Don't do it, you know, on your own. It, it, it just makes it so much, it makes it funner, makes it easier. Like you were saying too, people can give you their insight. Don't go down that road. It's a dead end. Go down this one. It'll get you there. Yes. <laughs> I love helping my clients avoid uh, tragedy yeah. and, and pitfalls and learning opportunities. Absolutely. By teaching them from other clients, learning opportunities. That makes sense. That makes sense. Like, I know, I know, you know, whenever I have to go see my lawyer, I don't even really want to talk to him. I just, how much do you want? And I'm, I'm serious. Like, just make it go away. That's all I want. Just solve this problem for me and make it go away. And that's what I do. You know, when I help people, it's like, what issue are you experiencing? Okay. We can, we can, we can eradicate this and we can, you know, find a solution for what you're experiencing in your life or your business. And we can help so you let me ask you this, when you're working with them as part of eradicating the problem, 
are you giving them the tools to avoid that problem in the future as well? Yeah, because I want them to understand that a lot of times it's something that's going on within them and it's not as complicated, you know, but we sometimes as human beings, all of us can be complicated. And it's like, sometimes we don't see that we are the ones creating it. And so I, I love to help someone see how they created something and now they can create a better situation or circumstance that they really want in life because that, those are the tools. And it's like when you, when you give someone that, then they can go help someone else and they can also help the people around them. And so now it's like, it comes full circle and everybody can benefit from that situation. Instead of just one person, it can become like an exponential effect. And I love what- that. <laughs> All right. So one final question. Mm-hmm. If you could simply snap your fingers, no work required, mm-hmm. snap your fingers and it just automatically happens. What's one thing that you would change about today's society? One thing. Um, one thing I would change. Oh First thing that comes to mind, just that initial. Just that people will love each other. That's all. Just that people will love. Let me change that. That people will love themselves so that they can love others. So I I'll love that. Spin. Yeah, let me put a spin on that because I, when it, when it hits home and I just caught what you said, it made me realize that like none of us can love any, anyone when we don't love ourselves. So just that people will love themselves so that they can love you know, other people. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's it, it, but that's kind of a tall order because I think we already talked about that and how hard it <laughs> actually is. <laughs> I don't know. It, I mean, it, it, and, and, and there again, like, you know, what we see in others is, is what's in us. So, you know, if I, if I only see the, the, the bad and, or, or the negative in other people, really, I'm just identifying part of myself I'm seeing in someone else. And so it's like, can't Jack says, you know, we all have that vision of what a perfect world would look like. That would be my perfect world for, for everyone to just love themselves so much that it's, it's automatic that they love other people. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jovi. Appreciate you. I appreciate you too. So (laughs) if you liked what you heard tonight and you want to hear more stories, first off, like the video, click subscribe and go check out our, our other, other interviews. It must be a long night (laughs) on you and your life podcast with Sarah Ruffi. Have a great one.